Hey, Kate. Yeah? Do we give legal advice on this podcast? Oh, gosh, no. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, an appropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. I'm the human resources director. Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Hello, and welcome to the Hostile Work Environment Podcast. My name is Mark Alifans. Kate's biting her lip and trying not to laugh. Fail again. We are here to have a very special episode. Our second Ted Lasso update discussion. Now that the second season finale has occurred, uh, we are welcoming back our good friend John Hyman, uh, welcome, John. How's it going? It's been a week. Uh, you hated the finale, and there's nothing to talk about, right? Yeah, it's going to be the shortest podcast in history. I'm done with the show. It, it, Ted, La- Ted Lasso is dead to me. Mm. Yeah, mm. you pretend to shit on a, a mannequin because you're I so can't, upset with it. I, I can't believe it was all a dream and that aliens were pushing the button. It was just so unrealistic. Just they just yeah. I, I'm just going to say for our listeners, John's did take our advice from the first time around and is wearing uh, his Richmond scarf. Um, I can't see. Are you wearing the kit or not? Um, no, just the scarf. But I will add that it's wicked hot in my study, so I might oh, yeah, my choice fair. that this very that's heavy fair. scarf was around my neck. But it's all good. That's fair. Um, well, uh, better done than your old '97s prison jumpsuit from last week. So. Um, <laughs> We we are here. Uh, we're a little punchy. It's we're recording on a Sunday night. Uh, it's already dark uh, for my friends east of me. Uh, I still have a little bit of daylight left, but I'm I'm a few beers in from watching the United States lose to Panama uh, in soccer uh, out at the pub uh, this afternoon. And uh, but we have a lot that we want to talk about from from this finale to really um, follow up on some of the themes and issues we were talking about in our first Ted Lasso episode. Um, And I thought, well, first I want to say spoiler alert again, Uh, this will be current up through the season finale of season two. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's not hard. You can find it. Go do it. Uh, You're probably not listening to this anyway, unless you already listened to the first one and already heard all of that. So, um, I thought a good place to start, as John has pointed out to us, that today is World Mental Health Day. As we're recording this, this is Sunday the 10th. And how, you know, I felt apt to discuss in light of Ted's press conference at the end of the episode, um, in light of uh, Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles uh, and their recent public discussions of mental health. And I thought it would be good if we just start a, first with an acknowledgement of that and, and to get your feedback on how the show handled that and uh, how important that is to the narrative of this season. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was brilliant that they started the episode with the, uh, uh, the uh, Soccer Saturday crew and George, the former Richmond coach, who's the, one of the commentators on the show, um, basically taking Ted to task for having mm-hmm. uh, a panic attack and how he's you know not fit to coach and basically calling him a woman um, because he had this panic attack and left the team and then juxtaposing that against the way Ted handled it at the press conference, which really I think brings it takes to heart or brings brings into account all of the conversations we've had like the last summer with Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles and just the mental health issues that are going on in the sports world generally. I thought the way Ted handled it from addressing the team to apologize to them at practice all the way to owning it at um, the press conference and then flipping it around to say, you know, we need to have a conversation about, you know, mental health generally. And, you know, we should use this experience to kind of move that. I, I just, I just thought it was brilliantly, brilliantly handled to bring that issue to light. I thought it was brilliantly handled the entire season. The fact that Ted has had a bad experience in couple counseling, so he doesn't is not excited. He's got this midwestern thing that he can just mull through it. That you just 
know, pull on and do it. Um, I thought all of that was really well handled, especially being a Midwesterner who has tried some therapy herself and is rarely reluctant to be in those positions because of what it what it means, what the stigma has been. Um, I thought it was really well handled the entire way. And every time you saw someone see Dr. Sharon, you saw an improvement and an understanding of where they were. You know, football is life and football is death. So I think there was lots of really good things about how the show handled mental health in general. And then Ted stepping in at the end to say, we need to have a bigger conversation of what this means. I thought was really important overall. So, you know, and, and I think on a more general or more broad view of this, if we're looking at it just from the employer, from an employer's perspective, we're now what, 19 months into the pandemic and employees, people, employees, non-employees. I mean, we're feeling the burden of living through COVID for the last 19 months. And and I guarantee employers out there have employees that are suffering through mental health issues, mm-hmm. COVID-related or otherwise. And if you're an employer and haven't checked in on your employees to see how they're doing, um, this is a really good reminder that it's something mm-hmm. that we really need to be doing because folks, folks really are struggling. Um, and um, uh, as I think Ted Lasso illustrates, having a conversation through those issues can really help people work through things um, uh, in a real meaningful and, and impactful way. Yeah, 700,000 people have died because of this pandemic. That affects all of our employees who have family members and friends who that's happened to. So if we haven't spent time just because of the situation we're in, not only about their mental health that they may have apart from the pandemic, but this has just been a shit year. So just uh, yeah. Clear, yeah. So just <laughs> to be clear here, uh, yes, shit year. Um, shit years. Uh, you have three employment lawyers here telling you it's okay to check in on your employees mm-hmm. and see how you're doing, how they're doing. Uh, and not only is it okay, uh, it's a good thing to do. And you should offer whatever help and resources uh, you can for anybody listening to this. Uh, who is in need of help, will drop some numbers into the show notes uh, or some resources into Mm -hmm. the show notes. Um, But there are many resources available to you, and we encourage uh, any of you who are struggling to reach out for help. Well said. Yes. So, speaking of people who may need help, (laughs) (laughs) should we talk about Nate? Yes. Yes, please. So he's kind of like the 500 pound gorilla of this podcast. So at this point, right, right. Uh-huh. I mean, kind of. So, so first of all, I want to call out John's uh, prognostication skills from our last episode uh, in which he predicted that Nate would ultimately uh, end up leaving Richmond and going to join Rupert's team. We got a little bit of a look kind of a glance. Uh, I think it was at the funeral, right? Uh, it was between the, the between the two of them, uh, and you know we have we have and uh, I just find it fascinating. So we have we have somebody who who is feeling like he has suffered abuse, uh, who becomes an abuser, and then he goes to work for someone who we also know to be an abuser. And, and who he know, he has to know he's he an abuser because Rupert he was, was his there. boss at some point. He was the kit he was the kit man when Rupert owned the team. So right. he has to know what an asshole Rupert is to work for. And I think Nate going to be the source to Trent Krim is his showing loyalty to Rupert. I yes. think that is his his task. That here I'm going to be loyal to you because I know you need some sign of loyalty because you're a shit boss. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it's showing loyalty in all the wrong kind of ways. <laughs> um, yep. uh, so I think we're going to take a second here, if I can find it. I don't have it yet as we're recording this, to play the clip of of Ted and Nate's encounter in the office, uh, which I think was pointed out uh, by Nick Muhammad. I think he I think it was there that this was the only scene that the two of them had alone together the entire. That's season. correct. So let's take yeah. a minute to listen yep. to that. Everything okay? Yes, Ted. Everything is okay. What is it? Hmm? What'd I do? What are you talking about? Oh, come on, man. You're mad as hell at me. I just want to know why. Huh? What have I got to learn here? You want to know what you did? 
Yeah, please. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you what you did. You made me feel like I was the most important person in the whole world. And then you abandoned me. Like you switched out of life just like that. And I, I worked my ass off trying to get your attention back, to prove myself to you, to make you like me again. But the more, the more I did, the less you cared. It's like I was fucking invisible. I haven't even got the, the photo I gave you for Christmas up in your office, just a picture of dumb Americans. And now you're going to play Nate's false nicer when the team fuck up, which they will. Okay? You can blame it on me. Well, no, fuck that. Everybody loves you. The great Ted Lasso. Well, I, I think you're a fucking joke. Without me, you wouldn't want a single match and they would have shipped your ass back to Kansas where you fucking belong with your, with your son. Because you, you sure as hell don't belong here. But I do. I belong here. This, di this didn't just fall into my lap, right? I, I earned this. I know you didn't, Nate. And if I didn't tell you how important you were to me enough, I'm sorry about that. No, no, you're not. You're full of shit. Just fuck you, Ted. I thought we'd start out with a listener comment. This is from uh, listener Melissa on Twitter. Uh, and Melissa says, uh, her, her comment is, as a manager, uh, it would be good to remember that when you're developing someone, you have to remember the emotional component of having them evolve into a peer, to Nate's point about feeling abandoned. So my question here is, did Ted forget this emotional component? Did he abandon Nate? And as listener uh, Lisa Beth Lentini Walker asks us, was it Ted's job to make Nate feel important? What do you guys think? I don't think it was. I don't think it was no Ted's job. No, I don't think it was Ted's job to make Nate feel important. But I do think that Ted did drop the ball by not paying attention to Nate throughout the course of the season and picking up on like Beard was in tune with it, right? But not picking up on all of the clues that you have. You have a potential problem developing here with Nate. Um, and, and so I think Ted does take some ownership in not, uh, being the boss to, um, whether it's, you know, the, whether the right word is mentoring or the right word is stewardship or whatever you want to call it to help bring Nate along once Nate got that promotion to be part of the, to be part of the coaching staff. Because ultimately as, as the manager, I mean, Nate is ultimately Ted's responsibility. And I think it is a part of being a manager that you have a relationship with folks that they can trust you and you can trust them, right? Like you want to start from a place of, I'm going to trust you to go do your job because I might not even know how to do it at your job as a manager, but the trust has to go both ways and not maintaining those. And I don't mean this in any kind of actual literal form, those touch points where he's having those communications with Nate individually, where he is continuing that relationship. It, Ted was really busy this year. And so he didn't get a lot of chance to focus his relationship or spend the time necessary to continue developing Nate. And that showed that was, oh, well, we're really good friends now. So I don't have to spend as much time maintaining that relationship. And no, that's not the case. As a manager, you have that continuing duty to continue to develop and maintain that relationship. And that's where Ted fell down, I think. Yeah, I don't you, think it's his job to feel important, but he has to maintain the relationship. I mean, you yeah. get to the point, you, you get to the point where Nate is convinced by the the yeah. uh, by the by the Brentford game that they're going to lose and it's all going to be because of of his false nine and and right. and 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 Ted's going to blame it all on him when in reality I think what Ted was trying to do was give Nate the credit I mean his goal was to give Nate the credit for it like he did all the way back in episode three when. Uh, uh, which was the the Park Trent the Trent Crim no episode three of season one, which was the oh, Trent Crim okay. the Trent Crim centered episode where um, Nate came up with the like the to use the, the play to use Jamie as the decoy, and 
um, they're on the sidelines and Trent Krim is like, where did that idea come from? And, and, and Ted's like, Oh, that's all Nate. And he's like, you mean, you mean you're taking your like coaching ideas from the Kitman? And, and Ted's like, yeah. And so, and Trent was like, Oh my God, this is, this is who's like, this is what's managing the team, but it's not in Ted's nature to throw someone else under the bus or take someone else's credit. He would have, he would have given Nate the credit when that worked. And I think had, if it not worked as the manager, he would have taken ownership for it. But the relationship was so broken at that point that Nate just couldn't see that. Yeah, right. I, and Nate was like, I, to Brene Brown this for a minute, Nate was taking all of this stuff that was happening and writing the narrative that, that Ted was leaving him. And, but that really wasn't the case, but that let him write that narrative with him as a protagonist in that. Yeah. I, I'm struggling with this a bit. Just because I think in some ways, because of the limitations of, of TV, you know, we have a 30 to 50 minute show with 12 episodes and you don't know what's happening between the vignette gaps that we have in the show. So it wasn't clear to me that there weren't other conversations happening. You know, can, you can only go with what they have on the show. And the, so you hear that from Nate and I'm like, huh, I guess we haven't really seen them together. But on the flip side of that, you know, the objective reality is that that Nate was a kit man and now he's the, you know, assistant manager of the team and is really responsible for a significant amount of the strategy behind how the team plays. And yes, he can, he can have some resentment against Ted because Ted, at least when it comes to soccer strategy and tactics is, is a neophyte that he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Uh, And, you know, Nate can think I should be in that position, not, not Ted. Um, I struggle with a narrative that Ted wasn't doing enough to develop him or bring him along as, as a manager or assistant manager on the team. And what it really, I think has to come down to for me then is what happened with the personal relationship between the two of them, that it got to that point. And, you know, as somebody who does, you know, or has done a lot of that kind of, you know, nobody's coming to talk to me. And it's all, you know, but I'd also don't make an effort to go to them, uh, but I'm going to sit here and worry about it and be upset at my friends for not talking to me. Uh, and I feel abandoned, even though I had just as much responsibility to go in and maintain that relationship as they did. Uh, this is something I've spent plenty of time uh, in, in my own life, like working on and dealing with. Uh, I see Nate going through a lot of that as well. Um, but in the end, I, I'm not sure I can get all the way there on the Nate's been abandoned narrative. Yeah, me neither. But I, I think you're getting awfully close to that's what the money's for from Mad Men, right? Like he got all the responsibility <laughs> he eventually wanted. And so now you got to be a big guy and handle it. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. And I think it's not so much that I think the difference is like what was the reality of the situation versus how did Nate perceive the reality of the situation? Yeah. And clearly, you know, he perceived what, what he was perceiving was likely very, very different from what was actually going on on the team. But at the end of the day, for him, and ultimately for the the story, I mean, what mattered was how Nate perceived it, which was it led to that awful conversation we just fake listened to. Right. Which, which, <laughs> which again, you know, brings us back to, uh, a bit to our opening with uh, World Mental Health Day and mm-hmm. uh, how unfortunate for, you know, someone in Nate's position with his disposition, uh, how this has uh, in some ways brought about his his ruin on the show, uh, at least in the eyes of many viewers. Uh, there's a lot of anger out there on Twitter. God, there uh, is. Um, and mm-hmm. he had a freaking psychologist avail- available to him for the entire season. The one character never that should have there. sat down yep. with Dr. Sharon <laughs> never sat down, at least that we saw, right? And we assume if he did, right. we would have seen it. Never sat down with Dr. Sharon. Well, I mean, just to unpack his dad. I mean, Nate yeah. needs a while just yeah. to unpack his dad. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For real. For real. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, going back to uh, Nick Muhammad, the actor who plays who plays Nick uh, or plays Nate uh, on the show, uh, put out a lot of really interesting information in a tweet uh, about process, scripting, what's what was scripted, what's been ad libbed, um, kind of, and a bit more around. Um, Nate's arc and explaining some of the character and the motivations in a way that we don't normally get to see with TV shows. I thought it was really interesting. One of the things he, he said is that part of what's driving Nate's unhappiness uh, with everybody here is suffering 
uh, many microaggressions in the workplace. And I'm going to give you some a couple of the examples he gave, and then I'd like to talk about are these actually microaggressions? Um, and if they're not microaggressions, what are they? And what's the HR or employment impact of them? Um, the first one that he mentioned was that Ted laughed at the prospect of Nate being a big dog. Um, I actually honestly don't remember that. It seems so out of <laughs> Ted's character that if he did, it, 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 I'm not sure it hit me that way, um, but that that was something specifically called out. And I think it was plotted uh, to be uh, something that got Nate upset. And I, I need to go back and re rewatch that scene. I, I think that was when they needed someone to go talk to Isaac to kind of figure out how he was, yep. like why he was not playing well as the captain of the mm. team. And Nate volunteered to mm -hmm. be the one to go talk to Isaac and Ted kind of laughing. No, we need like we, we need someone strong. And he ultimately went and got Roy um, to go be the one yeah. to kind of uh, coach up fair. Isaac. And, and I think that's I think that's what Nate was what, Nate, what Nick was referring to. OK, uh, yes, so in the rom communism episode. Correct. Yeah. Um, uh, he pointed out Roy not being bothered by Nate kissing Kelsey. Uh, but certainly Keely. Keely. Thank you. I can't read my own writing and I'm reading <laughs> off a page and I've had three beers. The three beers can't help by the way. Um, I'm being curious, not judgmental. No, I appreciate right. that. No, ju no judgment. I'm judging Very myself. Well done, if anybody's John. doing Very any well. judgment. Um, uh, so, so sorry. So uh, Roy was not bothered by, by Nate kissing <laughs> Keely. Uh, but Roy is upset at Jamie. For professing his love, so that's well, because Jamie's a legitimate threat. Where yeah, that was his ex. That was that I was her ex boyfriend. Not. I, I yeah. understand. Oh, I'm I, sorry. You know, <laughs> I, I, I we, we want to bring this back to you, uh, the question of are these microaggressions? Um, and then the last one he mentioned was that Nate did not receive an espresso machine. Okay, I, so I, 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 one, I, wait. Let me just say though. As a lover of of my uh, Nespresso machine, that one has some merit to it. Those are awesome coffee machines. <laughs> okay, okay. So you know, you're talking to two non coffee drinkers. Yeah, I don't so even know what one no is. A bit, we, yeah, we wouldn't even know. My Nespresso, my Nespresso machine, freaking best cup of coffee, freaking <laughs> rules. Hashtag Nespresso, send me a coffee maker. <laughs> Apparently that He's works for manager. some people when they do that. Yeah, online. yeah well, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not on the team, so right. don't, don't microaggression okay, so, me, Nespresso. No, I'm sorry. Good. Yes. So one, in my world, these are not microaggressions. The term microaggression; these are slights. Um, microaggressions for me and my practice runs along. It includes some form of protected class, like. Emma, can you go get us a coffee? Uh, can I touch your hair to a black woman? Um, you know, oh, I didn't know you liked golf to women. Or, oh, aren't you so happy you're retiring to an old person? Is suggesting that they're not, they don't have as much value. So for me, microaggressions are the tied to that protected class status. So these are slights. Um, these are, they're not necessarily minimal slights. I don't want it to diminish their value, but microaggressions added up over time can meet the level of pervasiveness that could become actionable. Whereas a slight, does, because it doesn't have that protected class status attached to it, it's not likely to be actionable ever. So that's just my little diatribe on the topic. Yeah, I agree. Uh, in in seeing that, I, I was like, I, I don't think those are microaggressions. I think those are just things that annoyed him, <laughs> right? Yeah, they weren't he's based just on something specific to him or a protected class or anything. It was just, you know, we all have things at work that we don't like when they happen, and things that people say that make us not feel great. Uh, it's not necessarily mm -hmm. uh, because of my protected class. He's just an overly sensitive little douchebag, which is. Last I checked, not a protected class, um, but but again, I mean, issues that I think had had Ted, I think, been paying more attention, issues maybe that could have been seen. I, I don't know. How, maybe, maybe you can't address them in real time. I don't know. But clearly, in terms of how Nate was feeling as the season progressed, there was a definite ball dropped in terms of um, how that was addressed. Um, 
because from an HR perspective, those things probably definitely should have been addressed. Um, doesn't mean it's, there was a legal duty to do so, but in terms of being a good manager right. or, a good, or a good employer, it should have never, obviously should have never progressed to the point that it did with him, you know, telling off his boss the way he did. Right. And, you know, laughing at him, Nate saying that he's going to be the big dog to go talk to Isaac, that was a knee-jerk response. Uh, that would have been a knee-jerk response for me. That would have been a knee-jerk response for many of us. And I think that's why it was funny in the moment. Um, but yeah, there's a, a little bit of that that says, you know, please don't take this the wrong way. Like, I, I didn't mean to say that you're not valuable. You really are valuable. But this is a job that needs this kind of gravitas with Isaac as a player and which is what makes Roy so good for this particular discussion. So I think ha uh, the apologies of those and those conversations that happen after them are important. But I don't think there's a big issue here, really. It's just the dribble that comes up. Right? Agreed. So anything else before we switch topics here? Anything else about Nate? Uh, and his situation that we want to talk about. I did find it interesting that he said uh, that the hair color shifting yeah, over the course of the season was very intentional and in that in that scene where he's at West Ham and, and the last scene of the show uh, of the season, uh, he's actually wearing a wig. That's what he said, um, yeah. Uh -huh. And and I just, I, I find that an interesting stylistic choice of the show to kind of show uh, I guess hair color shifting as demeanor and trustworthiness and the descent into evil. Yeah, he's uh, he's liable to start season three bald after working for Rupert for a few right. months. Yes, well, <laughs> says the bald man. Uh, yes, but <laughs> uh, but I do want to point out that. I am pretty gray. I dye my hair regularly. I am really pretty gray. My dad was entirely gray by 28. And when I started to go gray, I was at a very large labor and employment firm. And my managing partner told me not to dye my hair because it made me more trustworthy. And because I sounded like a 12-year-old in the first place, they wanted me to look more trustworthy. <laughs> so they wanted me to, ha to have gray hair. And I'm like, this blows. <laughs> so... I just want to point that out, that maybe it means that he's got more cachet as a gray-haired manager. Uh, as that's interesting. A, the young looking. Mm -hmm. I worked I worked at a firm where every time I tried a case, I had to shave my goatee because they believed that juries perceived goatees as sinister, and they didn't want their def they didn't want defense counsel well, to um, appear evil or sinister. So every time I tried a case, I had to shave off my goatee. That's I had to because shave off they watched too much Star Trek. They watched too much Star Trek with evil, too many, with too evil goatee evil, Spock. Oh, I was going Klingon, mm -hmm. but okay. No, 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 no. Remember the alternate universe Spock is evil and he has a goatee. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's why goatees are evil in our pop culture. Mm -hmm. No doubt. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. What else do you got for us? Well, I was going to say anything else on Nate before we move on. Other than no. wanting to punch him in the throat, um, which would be an actual aggression, not a microaggression. No, no, but no, no. I, I want Richmond to beat him. I want Richmond, I want Richmond to, to beat, beat him. West I Ham. want, I want him to find his happiness. And if that's at West Ham with Rupert, with that will another... not be that will not be his happiness. <laughs> then, there is then, no chance no. that no, he will. Then so he will, be it. He will. He will fail spectacularly at West Ham, I think, and come crawling back to Ted for help. Oh, there's so that's actually my... now that he's there, there's so many ways that that character arc could go in the third season. Uh, if it stays true to the show, I mean, it will be a redemption arc ultimately. I have to think that's what they're going to yeah, do. Yeah, although he, he's, he's, I read an under, another interview with him where he said that people should not hold out hope of Nate being redeemed in season three. True, oh. but I also saw that he said he didn't know what the arc was. Correct. I saw that as well. Uh. So don't hold out hope, but also I'm not sure that he's actually aware yet of how that's going to go. So I, I think it, it can go either way. It was. It if they was, can redeem Jamie, they can certainly it uh, was, redeem Nate. The way they the the heel yeah. turn for Nate's character was a masterclass in character development and watching it play out mm -hmm. over the entire season and even going back to see some of the beats in his character in season one. Um, it's going to be even more of a masterclass if they can redeem a character that is so universally despised right now. If they can actually redeem him in season three, yeah. it would be it would be a brilliant piece of writing. 
I would yeah, like to say, well. though, that the... Yeah. Yeah. I, I would like to say, though, that the real workplace of Ted Lasso, I mean, once Nick Mohammed started getting all the hatred because everybody hates Nate, Hannah Waddingham, uh, Beard, Brett, they all came up and said, he's a wonderful man. This is a great <laughs> part for the story. Like, supporting their coworker, yeah. I thought, was really awesome, remarkable. And not just for a coworker. I mean, uh, Beard and uh, Brett are his boss because they are producers on the show. But I, I thought that was really great as the actual yeah. workplace. So so two show. points. No, number one, shame on anyone that can't separate the actor yeah, from that the was, character. That's that what is, I was going to say. Like, that is, that is just you ridiculous. You have a problem with that. You're not smart enough to be watching this show. <laughs> Agreed. But number two, um, another interview I read with Nick Mohammed, he made it a point to point out that in between the airings of episodes 11 and 12, Jason Sudeikis reached out to him to check in on him to see how he was doing because he saw all the vitriol online lobbed mm-hmm. both at Nate and at, and at Nick um, and knew what, obviously what was coming in episode 12 and checked in to make sure that Nick Mohammed was doing okay emotionally with all of this. And I thought that was, wow, like that, that mm-hmm. kind of gives you all the feels, right? That Jason Sudeikis has yep. that much of... Ted Lasso's character in him. In him. Um, yeah. Yep. Agreed. Okay. All right. Let's talk about what happened after the big game. We end up tying and that point ends up getting us promoted uh, back to the Premier League, setting up season three. Oh, my uh, God. Super- I, che- I, I cheered like my team just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I did <laughs> Danny too. scored that goal. And it was a draw. I know, and it's not, a, and it's not, and it's not a real team. It's real to me. Yeah, great. Right. It's real to us. No, um, uh, I, I was right there. Our with perception you. is our reality. That's and right. It is real to us, mm-hmm. and 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 definitely consistent with the foreshadowing uh, we talked about in our last episode uh, from Ted in the last episode of season one as to how seasons two and three might play out. Uh, so we're on that path. Um, so after the game, they're all celebrating, and there's a big, there's a big decision that's about to be revealed, and that uh, Sam uh, is about to reveal his decision about whether he is going to stay with Richmond or go uh, and join Edwin Okufo's team in Africa. And they sit down, and uh, here's a little clip of how that conversation went. <laughs> Excellent performance. Hey, the goal, of course, speaks for itself, yeah, but your tactical discipline. Hey, they are certainly going to miss you around here. Ah, um, <laughs> Mr. Akufo, I truly enjoyed meeting you. I, and I'm so flattered by your offer. I'm sorry, but my answer is no thank you. I, I don't believe my time here at Richmond is over. And, and for that reason, I have to stay. I hope you can understand. You Nigerian motherfucker! Whoa. You Yoruba trash! Who the fuck do you think you are wasting my time? You medium talent piece of shit! Medium talent? I will dedicate my life to destroying you, you fucking asshole! You will never play on the Nigerian national team! You understand me, Pinky Dick? Never! I will buy your childhood home. And I will take a shit in every room. And then I will burn the place down. Yeah, then I will sit there and I will eat kenke and I will poop on the fucking ashes. I promise you this. Eh? Okay. I will never forget this disrespect. Fuck you, Sam Obasaya. So, um, I definitely, uh, always go pretend to poop on mannequins at work. I don't know about you. This is highly, highly appropriate behavior. 
Um, so clearly, I mean, I think no, the no, easy- no, no, no. Hold on, Mark. And now, and now we know we, and- you're not a poop guy. We're, you know, we're not a poop joke joke guy. So well, we now know how we Mark know got. Fi- we now know how Mark got fired from his job at Macy's in high school. Yes, yes, it was <laughs> it was Mark and the mannequin and feces. Uh, you got it. You nailed me. And this this is why I'm still shy, Kate. About I don't really like poop jokes because I got fired for it when I was you know a teenager and working at Macy's. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, nailed so that one, this. John. Mm-hmm. I can't. How, how you figured that one out? I don't know. Um, I have my ways. Yes. <laughs> so uh, clearly, <laughs> clearly, this is a bullet dodged um, for Sam uh, to see mm-hmm. the true nature of Mr. Akufo. Uh, and we can talk about that, but what that really got me thinking about and, and which followed into the next scene was Sam coming in to tell, uh, Rebecca that he's going to stay and Ted's in there making it super awkward, uh, for that conversation. And Sam is, is looking at Ted, but really talking to Rebecca during the scene. Mm -hmm. And, and I guess my question is, uh, having talked about this at length in our last, uh, Ted special episode. Um, what does Sam staying now uh, mean for the team's non-existent employment lawyer? What would they be worried about going forward now? What would they be worried about? They'd be worried about what the beach house is going to be colored. <laughs> I mean, really, right? Like they're going to still be engaged because this is going to continue to be an issue. As long as he remains working for them, provided that we get, you know, they stay in the, the statute of limitations. Well, yeah, I mean, I I think my point in asking the question that way was, you know, from an employment lawyer standpoint, it would have been probably better if he'd chosen to go. Oh, for sure. Right. For and sure. So, yeah. So now that he's staying, does this tension continue into into through the relationship into next season? Uh, does it present more issues uh, as to uh, employment law risk having him remain there? Um, I mean, I think we don't know how that's going to play out. We don't know what the relationship's going to be like. But I, th- I think I was just trying to get at, um, do any of the issues we talked about in the last episode really go away now? Or are they all well, still Well, no, lingering? they're all still there. And the risk would be, so now Sam is now charting his own course. He's opening up his Nigerian restaurant. He's told Rebecca, you know, he's got to figure out who he is on his own and, and do things his own way and whoever he put it. And so now she is presumably going into season three as the jilted lover who's also the boss. And she can't, right? So now Sam has some level of protection from retaliation by Rebecca. And while, I mean, he's mm-hmm. like the star, one of the star players of the team. And so it would be silly for her to you know, put the, t- put the team at risk by retaliating against Sam, but that risk is there. And so he does have some level of protection from being retaliated against as the, the jilted ex or the former ex lover of the jilted, the jilted boss. Yeah. It's still awkward if something happens and she, uh, you know, there becomes a reason to sell him to another team or do something like that. And what the motivations that's, that's soccer terms. Yeah, I think okay. I think Sam and his, and his hatred to another team. Sam, not, Sam and his and his hatred of thing. and his hatred of, <laughs> and his hatred of imperialism would take issue with yes. that with that phrase. Yeah, well, phrase, except yes. except they're soccer players, and that's that's how you describe when uh, I, when you send a player to another team and okay. they give you money. It's selling the player to another team. Uh, so so sorry that neither of you watch enough soccer to know that, but. <laughs> Um, There's so many things I, I want to say, it, and for the sake of my law practice, right. I'm biting my lip really hard. <laughs> yeah, I think in other sports we call those trading. Yes, players. we do. Oh, okay. We do. Which might not be very much better, but selling just sounds not great. Right. Yeah, no, I when saw, they, I when saw the your player face when I said it, but this is this is this West is how Africa. It, this is how it's talked about. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. So any uh, so going back any. Any other comments on Edwin Akufo and the kind of end of that, that very interesting two or three episode plot line? I I would want to say that many of us have been in the position where we meet a boss, we think we're going to really like that person, the interviews go really well, and then it's... 
things change at some point and we see the real them and we're like, oh no, I made a big mistake. And luckily for Sam, he dodges that mistake. But, you know, this was real life for many people to see somebody be a complete dink once they see the real person. Yeah, I, I think if if I were to criticize it, 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 it was a little cartoonish in terms of how it came <laughs> out. But I think they were taking that concept that you so well articulated, Kate, uh, about that boss that changes over time. And they consolidate that down into like one, one conversation <laughs> that's scene. a bit over the top. But I think that the point behind it is, is very well taken because it does reflect uh, in condensed time, I think, uh, uh, something that really happens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've got two more things I wanted to chat about. Um, what do you guys have to say? So there's a scene where they are looking at new uh, puppies. Mascots. Mascots. T- Macy Greyhound and Tina Feyhound. Macy uh-huh. Greyhound and Tina Feyhound. Um, awesome. And we have, I don't know if this is the owner. I don't remember if this was the owner or just a representative of the dog shelter who is really, really quite fond of Steely. <laughs> yes. Okay, How so did I have they a handle that? Of this. Yeah. They handled this poorly. Very, very poorly. <laughs> this um, is what we call so, I set it up and Kate knocks it down. Yeah. Nope. They handled this poorly. Uh <laughs> Hagen should have said, should have deflected. You know, in the D's of bystander training, one of those is to distract, deflect, uh, de- delegate, etc. He should have distracted and cut that off at the get-go before the kiss occurred. Um, and you can see Keely is obviously uncomfortable by it. It's not something she's unfamiliar with, because I'm sure this happens all the time. If you skydive out of a plane topless i'm sure you get unwanted <laughs> attention frequently um so i didn't i <laughs> okay was fair. there a, was there um, a mannequin when you scope never mind <laughs> you know but, one time something happens one time and all of a sudden you get mm-hmm, a reputation mm-hmm. <laughs> but i will say uh, of Higgins, I love him to death. Leslie is a great, great man. He could have stepped in sooner before this got even more awkward. And so that would be the only fault I would have of that particular scene. But it was obvious that she was uncomfortable. Yeah, so that, I guess he, so be- so well, so she's no longer she's no longer an employee of the team by the end of the episode. Oh no, she's she, right. But she was but at the time when the, when the at the time at the time she was, but I'm saying so Higgins that Higgins or the, or Rebecca, one of them, has a responsibility to go to this person and say, you know, you're making our employee uncomfortable. You really can't because the, the Title VII obligations extend to protecting your employees from harassment by non-employees. And, and so, they, yeah, vendors, customers, whatever. come on the premises. And so um, they really should have gone – let it go on too long, cut it off, whatever, still should go to that person and say, look, you know, you made her uncomfortable. We can't have you coming in and making passes at our – at our employees. It's not professional. We can't have that. Right. Yeah. Does this speak to a managerial issue with Higgins who in this instance maybe didn't step in aggressively enough and was also criticized uh, in the first season for allowing Rupert to bring uh, other ladies back to the office in the middle of the day at work? Is he, does he have a problem standing up to people? Yeah. A little too deferential to those who are in positions of authority over him for sure. And, you know, and in many cases, a person like Higgins in this role probably is like, she knows how to handle this. She's handled this all the time. That doesn't make it okay for him not to step in at that point in time. So in the grand scheme of things, still relatively minor, probably not even really actionable sexual harassment, at least not in some circuits in this country. But it's still something that we're like, hey, mm -mm, I don't like this. Cut it out. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to move on to the last subject I have uh, teed up for today, and that is to talk about Trent Crim, the Independent. <laughs> now just Trent Crim, Independent. 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 <laughs> so brilliant. I thought it was a really fascinating kind of uh, story arc uh, for Trent. John has informed us that he has read that uh, – 
that Trent Krim will be back with a significant role next season, uh, which does tie into one question we got from Petros on Twitter. Um, do we think that Trent Krim will replace Keeley on the team? I do. I, I well, I I, th- I think the story is going to go in one of two ways. I think either he's going to replace Keeley on the team as the team's new in-house publicist, or he'll be hired as the publicist for West Ham. That's the, the only. Oh, that's the one. that was that's, interesting. No, no two directions the story is going to go. What I thought was interesting was I read a tweet by James. So James Lance is the actor that plays uh, Trent Grimm, Independent, um, and uh, his wife, uh, who is an actual journalist, tweeted. Uh, and her tweet was just along the lines of, you can't imagine how many interesting conversations we had around the dinner table over the last week surrounding journalistic ethics, right? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, really interesting. Um, I, I'm i not surprised that he got fired. I think we talked on last week's podcast about is there a difference between um, ethics in the UK and ethics in the US for journalists? And I'm still not sure I know the answer to that, but I'm not sure it matters um, because mm-hmm. the independent made the decision, I think the correct one, that if a journalist is willing to burn his or her anonymous source, um, it really impacts that journalist's ability to do their job. Because what anonymous source is going to give information if they're going to burn the source for any mm-hmm. reason, the right reason, or whatever reason? And so, uh, I fully support as much as I love the Trent Krim character. I and I'm 100% team Trent Krim for what he did for Ted, uh, I'm also 100% behind his employer's decision to terminate him because of what he did. Yeah, I agree. And I think Trent is in a pretty good spot with it too, right? He yeah, he didn't seem too bothered by it. Yeah. yeah. Does this give you any pause if you're uh, Rebecca and thinking about, you know, maybe hiring him, knowing, knowing that, that that's kind of a professional lapse on his part? No, because it was a professional lapse to do the right thing um, and show his respect for a relationship that he created, not because he was, quote unquote, disloyal to the ethics of his industry. I think it was that he was doing the right thing for the relationships he had built. So I I wouldn't have any problem with that. Fair enough. So I have one more thing, though, that we I think we should talk about. I guess that's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And that is, <laughs> geez, geez, that is Rebecca's advice to Keely. Oh yes, thank you. Hire your, or, or, or hire your yeah, best friend. You totally mentioned I'm that like, earlier today, no, and then yeah, don't, yeah, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. My best advice is to hire That's your best bad friend. Advice. That's bad advice. Don't mm-hmm. hire your That's best really friend. Really bad advice. Yeah, just like your pe- the people you work with are not your family or the, your work family, um, and I. Personally, because my family, we have lots of dysfunction and sometimes it's not great. So the idea that, ooh, we're a family, that like just rubs me a little bit the wrong way um, and not literally. Uh, but then you've got the – that now you're hiring your best friend. Well, what if you – you know, are just gossipy or things aren't going right. Now you have a fight and it blends into your relationship too. Yeah. yeah or, it was or, bad advice. Or you, have to, or you have to fire your best friend because they do something. Right. 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 Well, yeah, exactly. And, and the question is, are you willing to risk losing your best friend? Mm-hmm. Right. Because of work. Yep. And, you know, I might put a, a small caveat on there is if, if your best friend is somebody you met at work, Right, and you know that you have a great mm-hmm. working relationship that can cut hi, into Dennis. that. Yeah, hi Dennis. Um, <laughs> uh, that can cut into it, but it doesn't mean it's not it's not a significant consideration and right. and uh, thinking about doing it uh, on both parties. And it's not great advice to just go work with your best friend. Right. I love you, Dennis. Right. <laughs> we all love Dennis. Can I take PTO on Friday, Dennis? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I don't ask. I just take PT. I just don't, I just don't show up. He, just, he doesn't show up. What do you mean? He just hangs the doctor was not inside is, on the door and right, out he well, goes. Is Mark, is Mark working from home this Friday or is <laughs> – What is working, Mark doing? Work, I working. Know. Yeah, you, working. Yeah, the, 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 the listeners can't see working. the air quotes, but they are heavy in the air. Yes. So on that awkward right. note <laughs> – Mark, you kind of took a beating tonight. I feel bad about I did, that. I did. I did. I appreciate it. I love you guys. It was all lies, too. It never happened at Macy's. Um, 
Nor did I jump out of a of an airplane topless. I've never jumped out of an airplane. So. Bottomless, yes. Topless, no. Well, I've never jumped out of an airplane. Thank you. That doesn't foreclose the other parts of it, but but that is still the required antecedent, right? You can't jump out of a plane lacking clothes if you've never jumped out of a plane. True. <laughs> so, having taken this beating full of um, not microaggressions on uh, this episode. Uh, anything else, uh, friends, for the good of the order uh, related to the show uh, or anything else before we wrap this up? I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to start rewatch number four. Um, yeah. To, to, yeah. We're, we're going to start with Donovan, my 13 year old who was not watched with us, but we're going to start with him. Um, and get him hooked before season before season three starts. So yeah, we have not forward to, I'm looking watch, forward yeah. to rewatching again. Yes. The one thing I will say is the use of music this season in particular has been fabulous. Karma Police for the end of episode 11. Uh, Easy, Lover, awesome. All of those. It was all great. Was all well, great. Every, and every music great. selection is, is intentional. Yeah. And um, – Big hats off to Krista Miller, who's Bill Lawrence's wife, who's from the Drew Carey show and Scrubs and some other things, but she's the music supervisor on the show. Um, and it must be lovely to have Apple's budget behind you because I can't imagine yeah. what they pay for clearances and licenses to get that all those all that music on the show. It's got to be an astronomical yeah. music budget. Yeah. Awesome. All right. On that okay, well, note. thanks, folks. Thank, Thank you. This you was John awesome. Thank you for joining us. Um, mm-hmm. Where uh, can people find you, John? Uh, people can find me everywhere they find <laughs> um, uh, They can find really me. Avoid He's there. He's but- every fucking where. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, good luck to our listeners trying to avoid John. Really? Yeah, I'm just I'm <laughs> lurking everywhere. Um, on Twitter at John Hyman, J O N H Y M A N. Um, you can find me at the Ohio Employer Law Blog, OhioEmployerLawBlog.com. Um, on LinkedIn, you can Google John Hyman Employment Lawyer, and you will literally find me here, there, and everywhere. I do not hide. <laughs> do not hide online. Kate. K eight B I S C H. That's where I am everywhere. How about you? And you can find me at Salad Pants everywhere (laughs) (laughs) and the Bullard Law Law website. Um, That Salad Pants takes on a whole new meaning now after the skydiving. Yeah, exactly. Well, (laughs) I mean, if you you think about it, it takes on a pretty interesting meaning for anything. Mm -hmm. Just some arugula coming out of the plane. (laughs) That's right. Happens all the time. Oh, on that. It's late on a Sunday night. <laughs> yeah, right, we're getting really punchy. Uh, thank you all for listening. If you have questions or comments or thoughts, um, please email us at hwepodcast at gmail.com. Kate and I will be back with another regular episode. I uh, We didn't record this weekend. Soon. It, we may or may not this coming weekend, but uh, it'll be in the next week or two. So soon. And uh, we appreciate all of you for listening um, and for your feedback and support. Talk to you later. Cheers. Bye.